Well, that's some great music this morning, amen? Boy, that's some dancing music right there, woo! That was glorious. I hope you were dancing at home there, and welcome. Thank the Lord for our beautiful, growing uh, online family, and we prayed that God would just bless you, and for all of us that are here this morning, uh, we just thank the Lord being this beautiful, very clean and safe place, and uh, we're always uh, grateful to just trust uh, the wisdom of our people to know when to meet, and uh, thank the Lord we have the freedom to do that. And so we're here this morning because we serve an unstoppable God, an omnipotent God. I got to tell you this morning, I am excited. My heart is just so full of Jesus and so full of his word. He has magnified his word above his name. He said, when I prayed, God strengthened me in my soul. And my soul is strong this morning, not because I'm strong. No, in fact, I feel very weak, but because God is strong. And so I hope that you're feeling strong and God has great things planned for this church. I am so thrilled about the upcoming days and uh, this uh, opportunity, this uh, fresh opportunity, a, a new era, a new day. Isaiah chapter 60 and verse number one, uh, God said, arise, shine, church. For this is a new day, and that promise that God gave us over 20 years ago, almost 25 now, is now a new, uh, a new sense of that, a fresh sense of that. And so uh, we're looking forward to the upcoming days, and as it stands right now, we're still planning on December 13th being in that new building, which all, you know, in the Lord's hands. Uh, there's other factors, you know, that are going on in this world, but uh, we're, uh, the Lord willing, planning on that. All right, well, let's... Uh, Take our Bibles. If you want to get a head start, you can just move your Bible to Matthew chapter 9. We'll get there in just a moment. But this is our final in our series on unstoppable God, the omnipotence of God. Today is the power, God's power over death. Now, brothers and sisters, we all know this, but we live in a dying world. It is inevitable since the fall of man, we are deteriorating people in a deteriorating world that is deteriorating to death. The Bible says it very clearly. We are, this world is groaning and it constantly gets worse. It really does. That's uh, the clear teaching of Scripture. Death is a specter that haunts everyone. It haunts all of our lives. And it, in each case, there's not one person that's not going to go through that unless the Lord comes and He takes us home with Him. We're going to go through that death. Sickness comes. People, we live in such a crazy era. I mean, two years ago, a few years ago, sickness was just something that happened. and We tried to stay away from it as best we can, but pretty much all realize that it happens today. It's kind of like, uh, you know, you can't get sick, you know, <laughs> like... It's a crazy world we live in, and people are so fearful of viruses and then die of cancer. Others are so fearful of uh, cancer and then die of a virus. But the fact, one common fact is we live in a dying world. But I am glad to announce this morning that we serve a God who has conquered death. And he has taken death. And the Bible says he has killed. Amazing. The Bible says he killed death. We serve an omnipotent God. What does it mean? That's a big word, omnipotent. Uh, usually uh, coupled with uh, when we talk about God's attributes, his omniscience, meaning his all-knowing, 
His omnipresent, meaning, thank God, He's everywhere. Now, where I am, God's there. And then His omnipotent. Omni means all, power. Uh, the omnipotence of God. It is best um, described in Scripture by the word El Shaddai. El Shaddai is a Hebrew name of God. It means almighty. 345 times in Scripture, God is called omnipotent. His very name. We sing several songs about El Shaddai. Now, most of the world really doesn't know that sense, and they don't have that sense that, you know, death is conquered and death is really <laughs> not really to be feared. I mean, I don't know of anybody who wants to die. I certainly don't want to go through the process of death. And yet, for the Christian, we have this overriding uh, sense that really it's a favor to us. I mean, you know, if we were to be released from prison and released from our uh, issues, then I think we would consider that to be a good thing. Now, the process especially doesn't make us excited in, in that regard. It's fearful. I, I'm certainly, I get fearful myself. But the fact is, we live in a world that seems obsessed with death and obsessed with the fear of it. So much so, I mean, I have never seen such a scared people in my entire life. People are so fearful today, you just, it's unbelievable. My dear wife and I were in the airport a few months back, and we saw every kind of get up you can imagine, people trying to protect themselves. We even saw one lady, I guess it was a lady, I assumed it was a lady, but uh, she had a full PPEs on. I mean, uh, from the bottom of her feet to the top of her head, she had some kind of an outfit on. I don't know what it was. She had this mask on. She had a helmet on. I mean, she was protected. And uh, she looked like she was a moonwalker. And I thought, how in the world? What has this world got to? I mean, honestly, that's not something we should do once in a while. If that's your concept, you need to do that the rest of your life. Because there's always something. There's always something that is eminent. We live in a dying world. Do we feel like that when something's gone, a little virus, a big virus, an ugly virus, nasty virus is gone, then that's it. Oh boy, you know, clear sailing from here on out. Everybody wants a vaccine. Okay, well, I'm glad for a vaccine. But did you know that after the vaccine, there's going to be another disease? Did you know that? Did you know there's something else right around the corner? It is. There's something else right around the corner because death is built into this world. God said in Genesis that when man sinned, he brought death to the world. And that's not just death to humanity. That's death to nature itself. We have death built into this world. And people are so scared of death. I read about one man the other day. He, it's a true story. He, he was so afraid of death and so afraid of uh, being, uh, you know, considered dead when he maybe wasn't dead. He built a grave that um, eight feet under. He built a grave. Uh, this was in Brazil, I think it was. He built a grave that had a window, uh, a little top that he could look out, and a, a bell in there. So that for some reason, he really wasn't dead. And he woke up later, he could ring the bell, the guard would come and let him out. And he could look around in the meantime. I mean, folks, folks are crazy, but it is inescapable. We live in a death and a dying world, except when you're born again. And then the Bible says you are alive. You have been made alive. In fact, the truth is, we're all just walking dead men. I know there's 
songs like that. There's movies like that. But the fact is we are walking dead men without Christ. But when we're born again, the Bible says death is really just sleeping. It's a temporary something. In fact, in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, Paul said that Jesus took the sting out of death. He just, uh, he just took all the, uh, all the bad part of death out and because for an unbeliever, death is permanent. It is truly death. It's, e- it's eternal death. It is not, however, a death without pain. It is a constant death. But thank God, Revelation 21 says that Jesus is come and there'll be a day when there's no more death. Sweet Hannah in the Old Testament. Blessed Hannah, sweet preacher's wife, Hannah, prayed for God to give her a son. God gave her little Samuel, and in 1 Samuel chapter 2, she sang a wonderful song. And one of the things she sang in that song was this. She said, the Lord killeth, and the Lord maketh alive. He bringeth down to the grave, and he bringeth up. How in the world can God make people alive? How can he bring dead people to, to life. Well, it's nothing to God. It's easy peasy, as they say. God, it is so easy for God to bring someone who was a dead back to life. And that's what this story is about. Jesus just raises up a dead person. Now, why did God put that in there? Just as a little sampling, a little hors d'oeuvre, just a little, he just pulls back the curtain a little bit and says, here's what heaven's like. It's eternal life. And that's what it is. There was a puffed up college student He went and asked his pastor, he said, Pastor, do you believe there's life out there on other planets? Nope. (laughs) The young collegiate said, you mean in all of those billions and billions of galaxies out there, you don't believe there's any life, no human life out there? Nope. Well, then why did God go to all that trouble to make all of that? The pastor said, what trouble? (laughs) it wasn't no trouble for God to make the galaxies he spoke the Bible said one word and the entire earth and galaxies came into existence folks that's why in this story when Jesus said arise come up and she just came up from the dead I mean easy easy peasy because Jesus is victor over death and God's omnipotent over death. Well, that's why we're talking about it today, and I think this is a good way to end this series because we've talked about so many parts of God's omnipotence, and this perhaps is the ultimate. Let's bow for prayer. Father, thank you for the beauty of your word. Thank you for the precious saints that are here, for those that are watching, and Lord, I know there's a lot of people out there that are so fearful right now, and Lord, uh, to us, uh, death uh, is a welcome friend, and though we don't uh, rush towards it, Lord. We still accept it as a friend. And Lord, we thank you that uh, you have given eternal life to those that believe in your son, Jesus Christ. And we pray that you will just give us uh, a new sense and understanding of your omnipotence today. In Jesus' name, amen. God the Son came and manifested himself on earth. Unto us a child is born, but a son was given simultaneously, the great prophet said. 
a scripture often sung and read during the Christmas season called the incarnation of God. Christ came and took on flesh. That's the meaning of the word incarnation. God came to earth. No man has seen God, we're told, and yet uh, we've seen God in that we've seen Jesus Christ. And when we see Jesus Christ and we look at what He did, we see God. As we've gone through this series on the omnipotence of God, we've seen that Jesus, God is omnipotent over disease. Aren't we glad this morning that God has omnipotence over disease? He is omnipotent over that. He is omnipotent over nature. God brings rain and God allows different uh, events in this world and weather events. And God can speak and the wave is just calm. What manner of man is this? Well, you got it wrong. He's not just a man. He is God in the flesh and he is omnipotent. He is omnipotent over demons. I don't have to be afraid of demons. Demons need to be afraid of me because greater is in, in me that's he that's in the world. And so I don't uh, like demons. Uh, I certainly have a healthy respect of them, but afraid? No, nah, not on your life. They need to run. I used to have a hat, uh, a fedora, and I used to call it my demon chasing hat. And uh, I'd only usually wear it on, when I'd go out on calling nights and visitation nights. And every time I got that hat on, I imagined that the demons were saying, uh-oh, Pastor Tim's got his demon chasing hat on. And uh, I, we chased a lot of demons with that hat. And you know, the fact is, uh, we, don't have a, uh, we don't have a Tommy gun. I've got a Bible in my hand. And I put that fedora on, and we went out and chased demons out of people because we'd give them the gospel. And that's the greatest way to defeat demons. And God is omnipotent over demons. That's why God said, if you would believe, you have the power to become a son of God. The demons can't keep anybody from being saved. Isn't that great truth? If you want to be saved, you can be saved. You say, well, the demons got him. Uh-uh. That, what kind of justice would that be? Then God would, uh, a person's going to hell would be on God. No, it's not on God. Friends, if you go to hell, it's not on God, I promise you. And it's not on the devil either. It is square on your shoulders. The Bible says if you want to be saved, you can be saved. That's because God has given us power, power to become a son of God. So he is omnipotent. He is omnipotent over demons. And he, is, thank God, is omnipotent over disobedience, disease and darkness and demons and disease and uh, uh, over disobedience. He can cleanse every sin. And now today, he is also over death. Look what it says in Matthew chapter 11. We're getting to nine, but just look at this one verse, Matthew 11 verse five. The, how do we know that Jesus is the Messiah? Well, here's how we know. The blind receive their sight. The lame walk. Lepers are cleansed. The deaf hear. And look at this. The dead are raised up. That was true in his earthly ministry, but that's also eternally true to those that die, but who die in the Lord, and the poor have the gospel preached unto them. And so at the resurrection of Jesus Christ, God showed that death was defeated, just further proof of his omnipotence. Now, as we think about this and as we begin, let me pose a, a question that an atheist would say. 
an atheist mind, and over the years I've talked with people who said something about like this. But here's what an atheist mind says. They say, well, now wait a second. If God is truly omnipotent, and if God would raise his own son from the dead, well, then why won't he prevent others from dying? Why, will, why is he incapable of preventing people from dying? Or if they do die, why doesn't he raise them up? And they say if God is omnipotent and doesn't do that, then he's unloving. So he can't be both omnipotent and uh, uh, loving at the same time and not do these things. These are atheist philosophical questions. And in this series, I've done a lot of reading and I'm, I am uh, simplifying some of, the, some of the things you're like. And when you get into that whole world of philosophy, it's like, they just spin off to, you know, la-la land. But the fact is, they have this, uh, some have this mindset. The, the truth is, it's just an unbelieving heart. And so they, they put some, uh, they spin some some mental things around it. But the fact is, folks, God is loving. And He is omnipotent. And He proves His love by saving us. And He proves His omnipotence by giving us eternal life. The fact is, He just doesn't do it the way the atheist wants it done. That's the, really the fact. He does it His own way. Well, let's go to Matthew chapter 9. And we're going to get irrefutable truth now about why this is the case. Now, Matthew chapter 9, we find a miracle within a miracle. We're going to be beginning in verse number 18. We're going to see God do a supernatural resurrection. And then there's a brief little parenthesis in this passage where He does a supernatural healing, which is just a, a, a sample of death, really, and how He conquers death. But uh, I think it's a dramatic sample of what He has planned. Look at verse 18. While he spake these things, while he spake these things unto them. Well, we need to stop right there for just a moment and find out the answer while he spoke things. Well, what things? And unto them. Now, let's uh, follow ourselves. Uh, we've gone through Matthew chapter 8 and chapter 9. Uh, he's been on the Sea of Galilee, which is the Sea of Tiberias, which is about like I've mentioned, about like uh, the size of Lake Tahoe, actually a little smaller. It's a freshwater lake. It's in northern uh, eastern Israel. It's a border between the nations there. And they were on that uh, lake. They went down to the southeastern portion. Uh, there was a big uh, storm. They calmed the storm. They get out there in the area of the Gadarenes. There they have this great uh, healing of over demons. They get back on the boat. They have small uh, a flotilla of boats, maybe six, maybe seven, ten boats. They're about 25 feet long. They're all kind of going along. And they come to the northwest portion, almost northern tip, to a place called Capernaum. Capernaum is Jesus' hometown. Now, it's not his birthplace. That's Bethlehem. It's not the place he was raised, which is Nazareth. It is his home base for his ministry, Capernaum. It's also where Peter lived with his wife and mother-in-law, and so uh, and probably children there. And so he uh, is there. Um, he is uh, in Peter's house, most likely. People hear that uh, he's there, and remember, he healed that to man. They left, let him down through the roof there. And uh, so all these things are happening, and there's a crowd now. 
And I want you to look at three divisions in this passage. First of all, the humble head, meaning the head of the synagogue. Look at verse 18. There they spake these things unto them. Behold, there came a certain ruler. A certain ruler, meaning he was the head of the synagogue, and worshipped him. What in the world? How could that be? Here is this Judaistic rabbi head. He came and worshipped. The word is proskuneo. It means to fall down on your face, and the word cuneo means to kiss. Kiss! He literally kissed, as it were, the feet or the ground of Jesus. And he came and he worshipped him, saying, my daughter. Ah, now we see why he's doing that. He's brokenhearted. And uh, he may be a big uh, leader. He may be a chief guy, but, you know, he has a tender spot for his daughter. My daughter is even now dead. And I don't know what to do. And boldly, just... uh, just crazy faith, really. Uh, but come, lay thy hand upon her, and she shall live. Now, notice uh, there in verse 18, it says, behold, there came. Now, remember, every time you see that word behold, it's, it'd be like me saying, look at this, everybody. Look at this, everybody. Look at this, everybody. Come on now, look at what's about to happen. Call your attention to what happened. A leader A political leader, a religious leader, the main man, the mayor, the the congressman, the the senator, we're talking big dog, he came to the house. That alone is strange. But he came with all the other people. And then in front of all those people, he falls on his face, lays on the ground, and basically kisses the ground in front of Jesus. Now, when it says, uh, behold, we're talking about something astonishing. Now, we might have imagined that uh, if he, being the Judaistic leader that he was, which is a false religion, wasn't the, uh, wasn't the Jesus religion, wasn't the religion of the Bible, it had so many additional laws and rules that People almost never could find the real God because they were so busy doing all these rules, couldn't find Jesus. But here he was. You might have imagined him saying, "Um, excuse me, excuse me, send his assistant over there. Uh, Go see if you could have a private conversation with the rabbi Jesus. No, he, uh, he, this was close to his heart. He didn't want anybody messing. He didn't want any chance that this couldn't get done in front of everybody it, despite his career, his standing in the community, his own personal dignity, he went and worshiped Jesus. My daughter is dead. Now, in the uh, other uh, synoptic gospels, in Mark and John or Luke, we have the same story. They say that she was 12, 12 years old. Now, in the Jewish uh, life, 12, uh, a girl who was 12 in one day was a woman. And uh, a boy who was 13 and one day was a man. Uh, He would have his bar mitzvah. Girls are usually advanced. That's uh, the way it's always been. And we know that. But anyway, um, so she was 12 years old. She was uh, really a, a young woman. And there she was. The Bible says she was dead. Now, there's always some detractor who will say, well, she really wasn't dead. It was just a figure of speech. She was as dead. No, she was 
dead. And God gives a little um, uh, verification of that in a minute because he's going to heal somebody and that's going to take a bit. But she was dead. And it says, he says to Christ, come, lay your hand upon her and she shall live. Now, um, this is a remarkable statement. First of all, he really had no scripture to back him up. He had no, uh, he had nothing that would validate saying, you know, you can actually ask for someone to rise from the dead. And I will tell us, folks, that is the case. Nobody, nobody here has the right to ask God in a, in a biblical right to say, God, I want you to raise this person from the dead. Because uh, it is ordinary, it is the common thing that people actually die. And we'll see with that, uh, a little bit about that in just a moment. But it says that he remarkably prayed that God, that Jesus would raise his daughter from the dead. Now, faith, technically faith, is standing on a promise. Faith is not belief. Sometimes people have the idea that faith is just believing enough. Have faith, brother. Believe. You know, don't give up hope. Keep believing. But is that faith? No. Faith is standing on the promise of God, obeying the Word of God, and then stepping forward. For example, Pastor Luke mentioned tithing. Tithing 10%. Now, that is a biblical promise. That's a command with a promise. And so if I stand on that, even when I don't have the money or even when I'm afraid what's going to happen after I give the money, that's faith. But just believing that God is going to raise up a dead person, there's really no biblical stand for that. And yet this man is so bold, so audacious, so maybe even mixed up, but he does know something about Jesus, and that is that he must be God. Somehow, Somewhere along the line, this Jewish rabbi just became convinced, and he was probably already there, but when his daughter died, that just accelerated. That's it. I believe that Jesus is God. They would never worship, they would never proscuneo anybody, they would never worship unless that person was God. For them to do so would be sacrilege, would be, be an absolute uh, sacrilege to, to do that. So when he worshiped Jesus, he was saying, I believe you're God, and I believe you can do whatever you choose. And by the way, that is a perfect place to be. So that maybe he didn't have a promise to stand on that God raises dead people, but he did have a belief in the nature of God, the attributes of God, that this is God in the flesh, and God, if he wants to, can raise someone from the dead. Let me give you a good verse that helps me in this area. Look at 1 Corinthians 6 and verse 19. 1 Corinthians. One of the things that we must all recognize is, is that my life is not mine. We have the idea that we own our life. Let me see what it says. 1 Corinthians 6 verse 19. What? Question mark. <laughs> what are you thinking? Paul said, Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you. God owns you. Now, God owns the lost too, but in a real sense, when we get saved, He lives inside of us. Notice, which is in you, which ye have of God, and ye are not your own. What? What? 
My life is not my own. Nope. My life's not my own. God has the right to do with me what He will. Look at verse 20. You've been bought with a price. Verify. Therefore, glorify God. Ah, I get it. In your body and in your spirit. Notice the dichotomy of man. God says we have a material part, our body, and an immaterial part, our spirit, our heart, which all are God's. God owns my life. If God chooses to do something with my life, that's His right because He owns me. We have this idea that, oh, I will prevent death at any moment. Wait a second. My life is God's. If He chooses for me to glorify Him in death, then that's His right. Sometimes a person's death can glorify God more than their life. Look at Jim Elliott, the great missionary to the Indians. I mean, his story has been told. There have been more people that have probably come to Christ, more people that have gone out into the ministry because of his death. God owns his life. And God said, Jim, you're going to come home. In the height of his usefulness, you're mine. Your death is going to glorify me more than your life. And so we have this idea that, you know, I'm going to prevent death at any cost. No, my idea is to glorify God at any cost. And if my death glorifies God, that's what Pastor Mike says all the time when he goes to India. Every time he goes there, he runs the risk of being killed by some crazy hopped up Hindu or Muslim or one of these other religions there. I mean, where, where he goes, I mean, that could happen in any city, but where he goes, I mean, they would do that. And never, you'd never even hear of him. He'd be gone. But he knows this, that if, I, if my death glorifies God, so be it. If my life glorifies God, folks, we live at God's pleasure. It's his air I breathe. It's his water I drink. I then only live as long as he determined. That's why everybody's concept of, you know, preventing death, preventing death. I remind us again, we only postpone death. We never prevent it. And if God chooses to take me this way or this way, I'm owned by Him. My life is His. Now, I'm not going to be reckless. I'm not going to be, try not to be, you know, unwise. But the fact is, the truth is, God uh, owns who I am. This is a remarkable story. And we really have no uh, scripture to back us up to say, well, God could raise everybody from the dead. And I know some of our charismatic brethren, we love them and they're dear friends of ours, but some of them get a little crazy. And they're saying, you know what? If you really had faith, you could pray and your loved one would come back from the dead. Now, friends, that's just, uh, that's just anti-scriptural. <laughs> that's not what Scripture teaches. Now, Scripture does teach that God is going to bring everybody back from the dead, but the fact is God can do what He wants to do. He can, uh, he can countermand Scripture if He wants to, but it has to be for His glory. God does what He does for His own glory. And so uh, we distrust God, and we, in, the main t- in the meantime, we distrust that the natural way of things go. That's what we do. One um, I'll give you a good example, or maybe, I don't know, as good as at least an example. 
uh, years ago, I was uh, driving my little Volkswagen uh, Bug there, uh, my little 1963 uh, ragtop, very similar to the one I have. Um, and I was uh, driving along, and it happened several times, but I used to use that for the Lord uh, way back, this is 40 plus years ago, down in Los Angeles, down in Pomona area. Well, I don't know what it was about that car, but it seems like I was invariably running out of gas. And uh, one time, uh, I could tell I was getting low, and uh, so, uh, but it was a long way to a gas station. It's kind of a rough area. And so I just asked God, I said, Lord, I just pray you will, uh, you, you will help that, this, me to get to the gas station. And I don't know how we did it, but uh, God just kept that car going on fumes or on nothing. I don't know what it was. He must have turned the air into gas, but I tell you, it was, there was no possible way that I was able to get to the gas station other than a miracle of God. Now, God heard my prayer. Did I have faith? No. I just had a request. Was it based on Scripture? Not based on Scripture. Was it based on a promise? Not based on a promise. It was based on the uh, my understanding of the nature of God, that He's merciful and He takes care of dumb people who don't put gas in their car. And, uh, but, I, but I can tell you that it wasn't based on Scripture. I just cried out to God, and in mercy, God answered me. I was just plugging along, and as soon as I saw that gas station, that car just stopped, and I rolled up to the gas pump. I mean, just rolled up there. I got out of that car, looked around, thought, that was a miracle. I mean, I couldn't have gone another foot right, in, right up to that gas. Unbelievable. Now, folks, that's, uh, that's what God does. Every once in a while, He overrides SOP, Standard Operating Procedure, in His mercy. And that's what this story is about, that God has the power, and He can, and He will eventually. But this is a story about that. God can overcome death when we have a humble heart. And so first of all, we have a humble head. Number two, a caring Christ. A caring Christ. Let's go to verse 19. Not only is He omnipotent, but He's loving. Ah, the atheists don't like that. But He is. He's both loving and omnipotent. Verse 19, Jesus arose and followed Him, and so did His disciples. Now this must have been quite a crowd. They all come together, and uh, they're on their way to have a little meeting, and uh, there's a whole bunch of different people. There's a religious crowd. There's uh, this, uh, this leader is there. I mean, that, that alone caused a big, big uh, thing going on. Everybody's like, oh, did you hear, you know, the rabbi uh, knelt at Jesus' feet? Did you hear that he's uh, crying out for his daughter? So now we have a parenthesis. We have a miracle within a miracle. While they're all moving, while they're all going to a place to have this meeting. Verse 20, behold a woman. Now there's that word behold again. That means you got to look at this. This is strange. This is crazy. This is just unbelievable. While they're walking, behold a woman. Now it shouldn't be strange, but in that society when a woman would come and would uh, get that close to a male rabbi, a woman which was diseased. So she, had a, she was a very sick lady with an issue of blood. And the nature of her sickness was even more, uh, made this story just unbelievable. She came from behind him and touched the hem of his garment. 
You cannot believe. Everybody went, oh, oh, who? Did you see that woman touch Rabbi Jesus? Now, women, even in this culture, don't usually go around touching men. I mean, I, in stores, you know, you don't have ladies come up and grab you. I mean, I have to beat them off sometimes, you know, but uh, no, I'm just kidding. But uh, really, I'm kidding, honey. And uh, so uh, I did, it was funny the other day, a couple of senior ladies uh, uh, walked by and saw my, me and my uh, little Volkswagen bug there, and they said, nice. And I said, me or the car? And uh, they got all embarrassed, <laughs> you know, but anyway, um, so, so there they were. They, it says that they, 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 this woman touched Jesus. That alone was unbelievable. But who she was was even more. And it says, behold, she touched Jesus. There she was. And it says she touched the hem of his garment. Now, some have made a, a big... Uh, thing about the, the hem was a prayer shawl. It was a Jewish prayer shawl and had all the little tassels and uh, maybe that's what it was. But it just says she touched the hem of his garment. In her mind, again, nothing scriptural, but in her mind, she felt like if she could touch his garment, look what it says, verse 21, for she had said within herself, nothing biblical, if I would touch his garment, I'll be whole. <laughs> I know this. I mean, I, I, she just knew it. Now, how she had come to that conclusion, there's really no scripture other than there is a passage in 2 Kings chapter 13. You may remember the story. A man died. There was a, they were getting ready to have a funeral. Some robbers were coming by. They had to quick get rid of the guy. So they toss him in a grave that was already there. And when they tossed him in the grave, his body touched the bones of Elisha. And the guy popped up out of the grave alive. Woo! I mean, that's now maybe she had read that story in the Old Testament. She thought, well, if they touched Elisha's bones or his garment, then maybe if I touch this man because I believe he's God, then I'll be made whole. Again, I just remind ourselves that even though our faith is not especially based on Scripture and it's inadequate, Jesus said, if you have even weak faith, like a, like a little mustard seed, but if you'll pray, I will answer you. You can move mountains. Well, anyway, look at verse 22. Jesus turned about. In the other passages, it says, who touched me? <laughs> he said that in his humanity, not in his, of course, uh, omniscience. Jesus turned about him, and when he saw her, he said, you wicked woman, don't you touch me. No, he didn't say that. He said, daughter daughter, precious daughter, precious, beautiful daughter. You're so beautiful. You're such a precious lady, young lady. And uh, the Bible says uh, that uh, here, be of good comfort. Don't be afraid now. Your faith hath made thee whole. And I'm saying again, it's maybe not a biblical faith. It was just more a sense of God's nature. Hath made thee whole. Wait. Wait a second. <laughs> now, when you compare the other passages, and even this passage, it says that when she touched him, she was immediately healed. Now, he's saying something separate. 
He's saying, now I want you to know your faith has made you whole. You're already healed, and now your faith in me is making you whole. That's actually, the word made whole there is the Greek word sozo. It's the word we get for salvation. That's why when you, in theology, when you study salvation, it's called soteriology, based on the word sozo. It means to be made whole. That's what being saved is. It's being made whole. Jesus said, you've already been healed physically, and now you are saved. You're whole. And the greatest miracle was not that she was healed of her sickness, but that her soul was written. Her name was written in the Lamb's book of life. Her soul was saved. Praise God. What a beautiful moment. All right. So this was a little, inter- uh, a little interruption, but a beautiful one. Verse 23. Now, when Jesus came into the ruler's house, now we see the reasoning behind it. All of this took place long enough. And so it doesn't sound like it's all in succession, like minute by minute. This is probably over a a space of several hours, maybe even a couple of days. Because by this time, people had come to the ruler's house and the funeral was starting. Verse 23, Jesus came to the ruler's house and saw the minstrels and the people making a noise. Now, when, uh, when we have our funeral services, the, the most cultural thing in America is that they're usually very quiet. Uh, a lot of times you'll have them at a you know, funeral home or a mausoleum or something, and it's very quiet, and everybody's expected a certain decorum in a funeral. Let me tell you that a Jewish funeral, especially first century Jewish funeral, was not like we have them today. And I can tell you in the culture, it's very different. They would always do at least three things. Number one, in fact, it was part of their law in the Talmud. First of all, people would rip their clothes. And there was a very specific way to rip their clothes. 39 different laws on how to rip your clothes. You had to rip it. It has to be a certain uh, length. You had to rip some of it over your heart as a symbol that your heart was being torn. Uh, you had, so, so people at funerals were all ripping their clothes. That's the first thing that was taking place. The second thing is, um, notice what it says here, that there was a people there. They were making noise. Now, when at a Jewish funeral, when they say making noise, the actual word there means screeching. They would actually hire screechers, <laughs> women who would screech. They would yell, they would wail, they would, they would weep, and they would just uh, sometimes grab dust and throw it in the air. I mean, at a Jewish funeral, we are talking about some racket, ripping clothes, screaming, screeching. And in fact, the women would often bring up the relatives that had already died. So, for example, they might be bringing up the relatives of this uh, uh, ruler. Oh, your mom, uh, you know, Rachel, who was such a beautiful lady, she is dead and gone. And so then they would, well, this only made everything worse. I mean, you had these people screaming and ripping their clothes, and you had to leave your clothes ripped for 28 days, and then you could sew it, but it only could be sewed in temporary fashion. They had all kinds of crazy rules, nothing biblical. They just would do it that way because they wanted to honor the dead. The third thing they would do, as it says here, is they had minstrels, flute players in specific. And so every Jewish funeral had to have at least one woman uh, screaming and one flute. That was Talmud law. And so 
He comes into this place. People are tearing their clothes. Women are screeching. They're playing flutes. And he's rich. Probably had dozens of flute players. So here they are playing these uh, instruments. They walk in. What a scene. In fact, it must have kind of put Jesus off a little bit. Look at verse 24. And he said unto them, give place. (laughs) In other words, I need everybody to leave. Everybody stop. Stop yelling. Stop playing. Stop ripping your clothes. Everybody stop. In fact, the best thing, if you would just leave. Because this is, can't be a funeral service. They're saying, well, why can't it be? Because she's not dead. <laughs> she's not dead. She looks pretty dead to us. He said, no, she's sleeping. She is sleeping. They just said, this is so ridiculous. It says they laughed him to scorn, which means actually they laughed in his face. They just said, you are such an ignoramus. You are a moron. Why would you say such a thing in such a time as this? And Jesus, of course, was often used to people making fun of him, but he knew what he was about to do because he's omnipotent God. He is carrying Christ. And so we have a humble head, a carrying Christ. And then number three, finally, a sleeping saint. Verse 24, he said, give place because she's only sleeping. She's only sleeping. It has been said the only difference between sleep and a death for a Christian is how long it continues. (laughs) That's why it says in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 and verse 14 that people who die in the Lord, and I love it, They are asleep in Jesus. They are asleep in Jesus. They're an awful lot close to Jesus. They're just hanging out with him. And it says they laughed him to scorn. Now, when it comes to death, there's a lot of strange concepts out there. And I've met a lot of people over the years that have said some funny things. For example, I've heard people say, the devil kills people. Let me just reassure you that the devil can take nobody's life. They'd say, well, the Bible says, Hebrews 2 and verse 14, he has the power of death. Well, I remind you that Jesus, or that the devil does not have the power to kill someone. God only allows that. Therefore, the real power belongs to God. The right belongs to God. If that wasn't the case, then we'd all be dead. You know why? Because the devil hates you. I promise you the devil hates you, and he would love nothing more than to kill everyone who is an example of Christ, who preaches Christ. If he really has the power of death, then he would have already killed us. No, uh, the book of Job is a good example that he has to go to God for permission to inflict whatever he does. When the Bible says in Hebrews 2.14 that he has the power of death, it is meaning that in the, uh, in, uh, at the, in the Garden of Eden, God gave dominion to the devil. He allowed the devil's plan of death to preside over the earth. That's why everything dies. So in the sense that we all die a common death... Satan has that power. He's been given power. He doesn't have the power to take a life. 
But he has the power, he has, the, he has been given the right, the dominion to put into this world a, uh, a sentence of death. Only God has the death sentence. That's why it says in Hebrews chapter 9 and verse 27, it is appointed unto men once to die. There's an appointment on a calendar. People will say, oh, we saved a life. Well, I promise you, no one saves a life. God has an appointment. It's either this date, this date, or this date. You'd say, can it be changed? Oh, yes, it can be. The Bible talks about honoring our parents and adding days. The Bible talks about shortening our days when we do certain things. And so that appointment can change based on our behavior. We know that Hezekiah, for example, was extended by 15 years in 2 Kings chapter 20. And so whatever the case is, God can change things. But really, there is something called common death. Numbers chapter 16 and verse 29. If these men die the common death of all men, Jehovah has not sent me. Moses was trying to validate that what he was saying was God's judgment. And he was saying, there's common death. And then there's uncommon death. That the fact God just takes them away. And so I think we need to understand, folks, that God is, the whole point I'm trying to say is that God and God alone has the power of death. Therefore, He has the power of life because He is omnipotent. That's why it says in Revelation chapter 1 and verse 8, He holds the keys of Hades and death. He holds the keys. If he got the keys, then he can do what he wants with that. Well, look what it says in verse 25. It says the people laughed so hard. They were just so upset. They were uh, mocking him. And Jesus just put them forth. He said, no. Jesus is not into hype. He's not into all the... He doesn't mind our humanity. He doesn't mind what we go through. But the fact is, he doesn't need all that to connect with God. I mean, there are some folks that, you know, they can't, they can't pray unless there's a candle and, you know, spa music playing. And I like candles. I like spa music. And I like privacy. But folks, we need to be able to pray wherever we are. We need to be able to just get a hold of Jesus in the midst of a storm. And uh, Susanna Wesley had all those beautiful children. And sometimes it says that the only way she could find a prayer closet was to take her apron and put it over her head. And she would pray. She had 18 children. She needed to know how to pray. She couldn't go out in the middle of nowhere, you know, and, and be a little monk lady. She had, she had, they'd burn the house down. She had to, right there in the middle, she needed to find a place where God was. And so we can, we, we ought to be able to pray anywhere. Well, it says that Jesus put him forth. He said, I don't need all this uh, singing and all this, all this stuff going on here. He said, there's something else you need to understand. It says he went in. He took her by the hand, and the maid arose. He took her by the hand. Isn't it beautiful how God gives us these precious little statements? He took her by the hand. He could have just spoken, arise, but he took her by the hand. Sweet, precious, loving, tender God takes us by the hand in, when we're dead, he takes us by the hand and says that he just brought her back to life. And it says, and it doesn't say it in this chapter, but in Luke chapter 8, where it has a parallel uh, story, it says, and her spirit came into her again. 
Here we find a, a reminder again that when we die, our body is the, is the house of Tim. Your body is the house of who you are. Your soul is a never dying soul. It's immaterial. It's, uh, the real you is not touchable, not tangible. That's why the Bible says we're made in the image of God, and God is a spirit. The real me is a spirit. What you're seeing is Tim's body. Her spirit came back with her body. She, they were reunited, and by the way, that's exactly what's going to happen in the resurrection. God says our spirit and our body will be rejoined. That's why Job said, in my flesh... I'm going to see God again in my flesh. What is this all a promise about? Folks, you're going to touch the hand of your loved one again. If they're in heaven, you're going to take them by the hand. Now, it's going to be, thank God, a glorified body. It's going to be different, but it's going to be flesh and blood because that's why Jesus said in heaven there's a tree with all kinds of fruit. No, I'm just kidding you. It's just a it's a it's just a fake tree and there's really just you know you go over there it's not really there it's just a apparition no it's real there's fruits and there's in and out burgers and there's all kinds of things on there and all, everything you need for eternity right there god says it's there he took her by the hand and her spirit came back now, what's this whole story about i was asking i said lord i just think are you telling us that we're supposed to pray for our loved ones that have died? Is this, uh, is this all a story about the fact that if we just had enough faith, we could pray for our loved ones and they'd come out of the grave? I think that's no way that can be the truth. That just, that just doesn't, uh, scripturally, that doesn't make sense. Why would God tell us this story? Is he trying to tell us to pray for our people that are dead so they can come back from the grave? That's not why that story is here. God is trying to tell us that every once in a while, every once in a while, God in his sovereign mercy, he steps down and does something uncommon. He can raise someone from the dead. But the truth is, this girl, she died. She just didn't die right then. She died later. She still died. It was only temporary, but it was just a temporary to show everybody Jesus was flexing his muscle. He was showing he is omnipotent God. In all of these things, God just shows us his power, but they're all just a, a sampling of what he's going to do. We sing that song, heaven came down and glory filled my soul. Heaven came down. I mean, D.A. Moody said, we're so interested in getting our soul to heaven when God's interested in getting heaven to our soul. And that's really what this story is. It's just a reminder that someday, <laughs> hallelujah, you're going to see your daughter. You're going to see your son. You're going to see your beloved mother or father or loved one, you're going to grab them by the hand, and if they're with the Lord, and if you, and as a saved person, hallelujah, God doesn't leave any saved person in the grave. He takes them out because He is God Almighty. I tell you this final story. 
as a young preacher, Dwight Moody, powerful young evangelist in Chicago in the late 1800s. He was uh, often asked to speak, but he wasn't really a gifted speaker. Later, he became a powerful speaker, but still wasn't uh, a great uh, orator. But he was asked to preach a funeral sermon. It was early in his ministry, and he decided, well, the best funeral sermon would come from Jesus. So I'll just go to the Gospels. I will go to the Gospels, and I will find a funeral sermon that Jesus preached, and I will preach it. So he said he went throughout the Gospels and looked for a funeral service that Jesus preached, and then he realized Jesus never preached one funeral service. He broke up every funeral he was ever at, and that's what he does because he is omnipotent God. Our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed. Unstoppable God. He is an omnipotent God. What a beautiful reminder this morning of God's great mercy. If we'll be humble, even despite our uh, insufficient faith or our inadequate faith or uh, sometimes our ignorant faith, God reaches out. He wants us to know that He has power over death. Our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed. You're here this morning. You've been listening online. Thank you for joining us. We are so privileged to have you. We love you. Can I ask you this question? Do you know that Jesus is your Lord and Savior? Are you sure that your name is written in the Lamb's Book of Life? And friend, you can know that today on the authority of God's Word. As many as received Him, to them gave He power to become a child of God, a son of God. John 1 and verse 12. Claim that today. There's an unstoppable God who will save you. For those of you that are here this morning, I think our reminder is this, that God's got me. He's got us covered. And when I die, hallelujah, I'm going to be more alive than ever because of my salvation. Thank God for this great truth. And so as we finish this series, we know He's Lord over death. He's Lord over darkness. He's Lord over the demons. He's Lord over disobedience. And thank God He is Lord over death itself. Maybe a good response would be just to come and thank Him.